Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Atlanta, Georgia, it's time for CEO Exclusive, brought to you by Anona Enterprises. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to CEO Exclusive, where we get emerging trends from CEOs and their most trusted advisors. On today's show, we're going to talk a little bit about the lending environment and access to capital, which is of perennial interest to CEOs in the middle market. And on today's show's guests, we have Adrian Seip and Sandro Mortas from Synovus. As always, I start the show by asking my guests, what are the trends in your industry or area of expertise that you think are really important for middle, middle market CEOs to know? And so I'll toss that over to you. What do you think are the trends that CEOs need to know about when it comes to lending right now? The trends that we are seeing is is a lot of growth in in established businesses, um, as well as new businesses trying to enter markets. So there are a lot of companies that are needing access to capital from different institutions, different investors, things like that, that they are trying to find. So they are coming to us and looking for that advice and guidance as to how they can get that capital. I know that a few years ago during the recession, access to capital had really dried up. So how are things looking now? Things are definitely looking up for uh, the middle market and small businesses in our community. And they are, it's easier to get financing. There's more financing options that are out there. Um, We're kind of getting back to where things used to be prior to the recession. Mm. So when you say things used to be prior to the recession, do you mean immediately prior when like if you you had a pulse and a business, a business license, you could get a loan or... It's smarter. Um, I think there's smarter access to capital now. Um, People are, you know, we learn from the recession. Um, We're making better judgment on on who needs to have access to that capital and what needs to be in place before they get it. But the availability of capital has definitely increased and and gone back to where we needed it to be. Mm. And so when you say um, what needs to be there, so tell us a little bit about in today's environment, what do companies need to have in order to get the lending facilities they're looking for? So one of the things that we see a lot and have always uh, seen is that people have a, a dream, a hope, a desire to, to get into an industry or something that they're passionate about, but they want to do it too soon. They don't have the experience from being in the working environment in that industry first. Uh, maybe they haven't you know, spent their years working and saving up the capital or bringing in the investments um, that are needed. They want, uh, they're looking for somebody else to just give them what they want now instead of putting in the time and the effort that is needed. What we want to see is a business owner that has done the due diligence, that has done all the research, that has saved up their own money to be fully invested into the project as well. So even though everybody wants it now in all parts of what we do, They really have to make sure that they're going about it in a smart way, and that will ultimately help them be more successful in the long run. If they do it too soon, um, if they don't have the money invested, then they're going to end up borrowing too much at a higher cost, and it's going to impact their business. And is that true regardless of the size of the company? Because typically we're, you know, our, our guests and listeners are companies that are five to 100 million in revenue. So they have track record in the industry or in the business that they're in. Um, some of them may even be hyper growth and be looking for capital to, to fuel growth that is already underway. Right. How does that change the picture? That definitely changes the picture. Um, that, you know, what I'm talking about is the people that are trying to get into those industries, the ones that are already established. 
it's really finding the resources they need to be able to grow. And that's not just financing resources. That's consultative people that are going to come in and give them the guidance that they need to grow and be successful. So, you know, a lot of people are depending on their employees to do that work and and themselves to be the ones evaluating that information and, and getting guidance. But there's a lot of really good resources out there for small businesses that can help them do that. Obviously, I would say a banker um, is a financial consultant and should be considered that in the picture, but they are accountant. They should be talking to their accountant on a regular basis, talking about where they are now and what their three to five year growth plan is going to be. There's resources out there that are free or of very minimal cost that a lot of businesses don't know about. The Small Business Development Center has locations in usually university areas. They're all across the metro Atlanta area. And they do free services. They have classes at a very low cost. And it's not just for startups. A lot of people think that that they focus on startups. They are helping established businesses. They are putting CEOs together, you know, to work out issues and, and come up with solutions. So they are a fantastic resource in our market. Uh, SCORE, which is retired executives, um, provide free services to help consult with businesses as well. In addition to talking to your banker, you definitely need to be talking to these types of consultants and getting some outside income or income to, advice to that too. <laughs> that too, uh, <laughs> some outside advice and see what's going on in other areas. And Sandra, I know that you focus on international markets, so tell us a little bit about the lending environment if people are looking to expand um, and and uh, do some trade internationally. A company has to for any request that they might need, they might have for money, uh, it's key to determine how it's going to be paid back. Of course. So the, I know that you guys aren't giving out free money. <laughs> no, there is no free money anywhere. But um, yes, want to make sure that the company is prepared. So usually I tell clients getting the financing, it's not the arrival point, it's the starting point because that's when the challenges uh, start. So we want to make sure that the company has done the due diligence and uh, as uh, Adrian uh, said, you know, using those resources that can bring to the table uh, expertise in specific areas. And that could be, again, the SBDC, can be the Department of Commerce, could be the Export-Import Bank doing, uh, providing the insurance for the account receivables, the international banker that can bring to the table the alternatives that the company has to make sure that they get paid. Anybody can sell, but <laughs> you're not successful until you get paid. Right. So when they come to us, we know that everything is in place and we feel comfortable providing that financing for those specific uh, transactions. Well, tell us a little bit about what you're seeing in terms of international trade for this middle market company. Most business owners, I think, international opportunities are available to larger companies and may not necessarily be open to them. So describe for us some of the opportunities that you're seeing business owners in the middle market take advantage of in terms of international trade. Well, I can tell that uh, one of the benefits of the Great Recession was that companies have learned not to put all the baskets, all the eggs in one basket. Mm -hmm. So the companies that were able to weather better the recession were the companies that had diversified their market. So many companies have learned that they need to look at uh, opportunities in other uh, markets and make sure that they're, they're not just focused on one. And if something happens 
that market, then they're going to be in trouble. If mm -hmm. you have diversified markets, you're better, uh, you, you can um, mitigate mm -hmm. risks. So we're seeing a lot of opportunities in terms of uh, companies, especially small businesses. Uh, we focus on, uh, with, we associate international trade exporting with large companies, but actually at the smaller companies that have more flexibility, might have niche products, niche services that are better able to serve those uh, uh, markets. And uh, we see at the bank companies from architectural service, but also agricultural products such as pecans or mm. other type of industries that you wouldn't think that they would be able to export. So that's interesting. So give us an example of a company, let's say an architectural firm that, that is exporting and how would, that, how would that work? Well, think of what happened in the real estate market. 2008, 9, 10, and a couple of years later, uh, which uh, basically the uh, opportunities uh, disappeared. So you had very important architectural firms that suddenly didn't have a market anymore. So the ones that were able to uh, survive were the ones that, for example, took uh, the opportunity to explore Asia, especially China. So there are a couple of Atlanta firms that have been very successful carrying out projects in China. Mm. So an export can be a service as well as a product, and people don't think of it that way. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And and what about another example? Any others? You mentioned pecans. Pecans, you can see companies that provide software services. You have companies that might have the energy savings industry. You might see uh, companies that uh, one of our clients that has a very nice niche, which is uh, expensive medicine. Mm which is very costly to carry inventory so they can provide that, those products immediately, you know, taking advantage of the connectivity around the world. Mm -hmm. So they're able to save money for their clients in Europe, in Latin America or Asia by shipping the product as, as it is needed. Mm, great. And so where do you come into play in the international picture with somebody who's trying to move into that market? For example, the architectural firm come to you and say, we're trying to do business in China. We've been an established business here in Atlanta. How, how does that, how would it work? Well, there are many resources that are available to companies, such as, for example, uh, we mentioned the SBDC for the planning. We mentioned the Exim Bank to protect the account receivable. Many states have offices around the world, like Georgia has about eight or nine offices in all continents that allows Georgia companies to knock on their door and say, well, I'm looking at this market. Can you help me have an initial evaluation of the market? Or I'm talking to this company. Can you give me some feedback on them? Again, preliminary. Uh, you also have the Department of Commerce that uh, has offices in the embassies and consulates around the world. And they provide services in which a company can go to them and say, well, I want to explore this market. Can you do a partner search for me? Mm. And they can travel, have a schedule of appointments, and hopefully be successful with those meetings. Mm. And Sandro is our global trade specialist at Sonova. So, you know, I talked about using your bank as a financial consultant. Having somebody like Sandro um, as a resource at our bank has been uh, huge for our customers to be able to go to him and find out about all of these resources and, and the knowledge and experience that he brings to the table to provide that guidance for somebody who's already exporting or wanting to export. And what do you think is the initial seed that would have a CEO say, okay, maybe it's time for me to start looking at international markets? What do you think is or should be an impetus for them to start looking in that direction? 
I think it has a lot to do with the demand for the product or service in another um, country is mm-hmm. really the, the, the beginning of that. A lot of people find something that um, isn't currently offered in another country, but there is a need or maybe it's offered, but they can come in at a, at a better price or with a better product. You know, there's companies that are American based, but are located in other countries and exporting to their locations in those countries counts as well. So as you look at your own portfolio of clients, do you find that a lot of them are concentrated either in one industry or one client and have diversification as a problem? Or the need to diversify as a problem. Concentration is a is a credit risk, and and we definitely will see customers that, um, as Sandra said before, have all of their eggs in one basket. It is a credit risk that all banks look at because if one thing happens to that customer, then our customer may not exist anymore. Everybody should be looking at diversifying, whether it's the number of clients you sell to in the U.S. or or exporting, or you know it, it, the different areas that they can be in. They they need to diversify risk, whether it's the number of customers they have, the products they offer, or their suppliers where they get their goods. Mm. And so if you were going to talk about what a, a really balanced portfolio of, you know, business would look like, what are some maybe rules of thumb or guidelines that you could give people? In general, banks are looking at, you know, somebody that doesn't have more than 15 to 20 percent of their Client, uh, clients concentrated with one company and the same thing with suppliers. They don't want somebody to be getting all of their supplies from one company because, again, they can control prices um, if they're the only you know person that they're talking to. But if something happens to that company, it can have a big negative impact on our borrower. And do you care about geography or industry? Because I imagine these architectural firms probably may have may have had a bunch of different you know, builders or development companies that they were working for, but they were all in real estate and the entire real estate industry went down. So no matter how diversified they were, if they were all in real estate, then they would have problems, right? Yes, yes. And and that's what Sandra was talking about. There was a few that figured out, okay, for uh, architect, the real estate industry, you couldn't go anywhere in the United States and not be impacted by that. But in other countries, there was still a lot of, of work to be had. And so the the companies that figured that out and figured out how to export their services were ones that were able to survive the recession, come out of it, and then get back to work in the U.S. But for you, do you look at geographic or industry diversification at all? It depends on the industry. I would say overall, that's not something we're specifically looking for. So one of the things that you mentioned a couple times is making sure that people are really doing their homework and doing their due diligence before they come to you to try to get funding. And that's something that is of material interest to me. I'm, you know, I'm a strategist and I help small, medium-sized businesses think through these kinds of big issues. And so when a company is coming to you to get a lending facility, what kinds of due diligence are you looking for them to have done? It depends on what stage they are in. If it's a startup company, somebody that's starting something new, whether they're leaving a company um, that they were responsible for that or going into something new, mm-hmm. they need to really think through the entire all the elements of a business plan. You know, who are who are their competition? What is uh, the barriers to entry? You know, considering a SWOT analysis. And there's a lot of people that can provide that type of support or they can do it on their own. But thinking through um, all aspects and what the risks are and how they're going to overcome those risks. Mm-hmm. Um, for a company that's already in existence and they're looking to expand or 
need capital to grow or, or things like that. They need to be able to tell their story. A lot of them are just like, you know, I have this need, give me the money and, and, and don't want to explain to us what the big picture is. And so we try to get in there and ask the questions that we need to know to make those decisions. And understanding a business's cash flow cycle is key. And so I would say that a business really needs to make sure they understand their cash flow cycle. Um, who are they buying from? How long does it take to get that product? When do they have to pay for that product? Um, how are they going to then turn around and make that into something that they sell? How long does it take them to do that? And how long does it take them to get paid? And so understanding that entire cycle is very key to understanding how they are going to have cash to grow. Cash to grow can come from, you know, earning it. Uh, it can come from investors. It can come from borrowing. But if you don't have capital to grow, then you're just going to stay the same size and do the same thing every year. And I don't think that there's a lot of, of, of businesses that that's their goal <laughs> is to see the same thing and do the same thing year after year. I think everybody wants to grow. So you have to understand your cash cycle and what additional cash may be needed in order to grow within that the cash cycle. And then they also, I imagine, and I would love for you to comment on this, they need to know where the funds are going to be deployed in order to get the growth, right? So yes. what are they going to do with the money that's going to actually have the business grow? Yes. One of, one of my favorite tools that I recommend to borrowers, but they don't always want to do it um, because it's kind of out of the norm. Accountants will push a borrower to or a customer to it all the time, but everybody looks at their income statement and their balance sheet, and they think that that's what we're focused on and that's what we're underwriting too. But there's a, a cash flow schedule that, you know, you show the money in and the money going out. And when we have a customer do that, it tells them so much information and they all of a sudden can see, oh my gosh, in June and July of this year, I'm going to be in the red, you know, by $200,000. And that can identify where the gaps are in their cash flow cycle. So we always talk to customers about, you know, it's one thing to understand what the cycle and the timing of that looks like, but to see where some things are going to hit in their business that is going to cause them to dip down. If they don't have the tools in place and the resources in place to cover those shortfalls in those times, then they're going to really struggle. So that's a fantastic tool for any company um, to, to use. And we actually use a template that's on SCORE's um, website that I think is SCORE.org. But you can Google it and, and find out what that website is. But that template just tells a company so much about what the next 12 months is going to look like and how to plan for the growth that they foresee coming. Mm. It takes into consideration receivables coming in, payables going out, the cash sales, um, any loans that are being obtained, things like that. So... That can be a fantastic tool. Mm. And so as as you think about lending to people, all bankers love the prettiest girl at the dance. You know, the ones that have like <laughs> the perfect cash flow and, you know, no issues, no scars, no warts. And that's maybe like one, one in a hundred companies. Right. So for companies that have maybe taken a hit or three or five in the past few years, how do they position themselves to, to uh, for lending if they're going to need um, funds to grow? Well, if they made it through the recession, that actually says a lot. You know, if, if a company was able to survive, but it was tough, and if we look back on it, maybe they don't show that they cash flowed in 2012. Maybe they were coming out of it in 2013, but 14 and 15, they're kind of back to where they were. 
um, that's a story to be told. It's a story of survival, and and we are looking at those all day long. That's also where the SBA guarantee can come into play. Um, there's banks that uh, offer conventional financing, and of course, we do that as well. But you know, if they're looking for three year trends and the company doesn't have those yet, then an SBA guarantee can help the bank offset those risks for a company that hasn't quite gotten everything underneath them yet or behind them yet. Um, and so, you know, the SBA guarantee is can be on term loan financing. So financing fixed assets, um, acquisitions, things like that, um, even working capital. But there's also programs that a lot of people don't know about. Sandro, you know, is over international trade and, and does offers an export working capital line of credit that can be used for asset-based loans or contract financing. But we offer the same thing for domestic receivables and in, in inventory as well. So you can have contract financing, which is a fantastic tool for contract companies that are providing a product or service and looking to grow. Very hard for them to grow because all of their capital is tied into the contract and they don't get that till the back end. So SBA has this cap line contract program where the cash goes in at the very beginning. We finance up to 100% of the cost of a contract and fund all of the costs associated that with that, including overhead, you know, payroll, things like that. And then when they get paid, it pays down the line and they get the profit at the end. So the cash savings from financing the 100% of the cost, they get to use their cash and reinvest in their company, which is what allows them to grow. So there's a lot of tools out there that are are available to companies that they may not know about, and they need to be asking those questions to their, their banks and their accountants um, to get those type of resources. So just to turn the conversation a little bit, in the second segment, we all, always talk about relationships that help CEOs grow. And um, I know, Adrian, you're the director of government guaranteed lending over like five states. And yes. so you must have a really big portfolio of companies. How many companies do you have in your portfolio in terms of lending? Do you know? For what we do, it's about six, 700. Um, that's on the small business government guaranteed side. Of course, Sonovus is, is much larger than that. And right. we cover anything from small businesses up to very large corporate financing. And so as you think about, you know, working with uh, Sandro and, and those companies that you're working with, tell us a little bit about the team that you think companies need to put together in the position of a CEO listening to this, this show that they need to put together to, A, get the financing. You mentioned a couple, you know, obviously a good banker and the accountant and anybody else that you think needs to be on the team. And then to make sure that they can execute against it, as Sandro mentioned, um, getting the money is not the end of the, you know, the story. It's the beginning. So either of you want to comment on that? I would say that uh, everybody should be focused on the mentors um, that they have surrounding them. Um, I don't think anybody is too high on the food chain to to not have a mentor and being able to bounce ideas off of, of different people that you respect that have been successful, maybe have been where you have been can do that. Um, I know I mentioned SCORE before, but those are retired executives that have probably been there, done that. That would be a fantastic sounding board for CEOs and and managers that are, are making some tough decisions, trying to figure out how they grow and, and have access to capital. Um, so, you know, we, we mentioned all of the, you know, normal business partners, but having mentors in in your life to help make those decisions, I think, is is a big part of the team that needs to be put together. And Sandro, 
one thing we can add is that one of the problems that I have seen uh, working with clients sometimes is that the support system that they have, sometimes might be the CPA firm or the accountant, the level of knowledge of those service providers to the company need to be updated as the company grows. Because sometimes we see some of those mistakes because their accountant are not knowledgeable to the level in which the company is going. And uh, I can So they had their their accountant that was their account when they started, started the business mm-hmm. and it's their friend and they've been together for you know 5 or 10 years and now that accountant's professional capacity isn't a match for the 10 million dollar or 100 million dollar whatever business that the company has become. Exactly. And I would say that we even have some companies that are very resistant to investing in an accountant or even a CFO and there, there's so much insight that those people can provide from an outside perspective looking at their financials that that ends up costing them way more money than it would to pay somebody for those services. You know, and, and there's a lot of CFOs out there that are kind of contract CFOs that they come in and provide advice as needed um, on a regular basis instead of being full time. But companies get to a certain point, they definitely need to be looking at having their own internal CFO. What is a good telltale sign that it's time? Because I know that a lot of, you know, CEOs in this middle market are looking at building out that team right. and investing, you know, 150, whatever, $100,000 plus Benny's into a position, especially as they're building out that team is kind of an expensive hit for, for a lot of them. Well, that's where I would start with a, a contract CFO. Um, we actually had a, a great call with one the other day that has taken a business and put it in a place that it never would have achieved on its own by providing that um, that guidance. And so they, you could definitely start off on a smaller scale and, and getting part-time or, or a consultation from a, a CFO on a contract basis before you invest in a full-time employee. But I think anytime somebody is going into a high growth mode, it needs to be considered regardless of revenue size. I think some people would say once you're you know hitting 15, 20 million in annual revenues, it's definitely time to start looking. Um, but I don't think it matters what size you are. If you're in high growth, that is very hard to manage. Um, and it can be, you know, the nail in the coffin if you don't manage it effectively. And, and if you're in high growth, then obviously something's working. Um, so not managing your finances and your capital effectively and letting that be what causes you to not succeed would be a shame. Mm. And uh, if I can add to that, uh, for example, on the exporting side, there is a tax vehicle that the IRS has in place, which allows companies that are exporting to pay a lower tax rate on the profits generated by those sales. And it's amazing. I mean, uh, we have seen clients that didn't know about that and they're doing 80% of their business is exports. So when we talk to them and say, well, do you know this vehicle? I say, no. Say, well, talk to your CPA and uh, see if they can help you get it. Or you need to probably graduate to a, to a more sophisticated CPA firm. Mm. The CEOs are beginning to make this transition and evaluate. What are some of the things that they need to be looking for? And their C- in the accountant? You know, either the CPA, CFO, the firm that they're looking for. How do they evaluate and make sure that the person has the, the professional depth and capacity to meet, the, meet these new needs like the export? expertise, for example? I would think that making sure that they have already handled businesses that have been where your business is and where it's headed is key. It's looking at their resume. What have 
they facilitated, what type of success have they facilitated with other customers already to show that they know how to get you there, um, not that they're starting where you are and going there with you for the first time. And so as you think about team building, do you have any kind of specific recommendations for uh, other, or other specific recommendations for CEOs who are looking to to build a team that can get them into the high growth mode? I think that, you know, networking at, at any level is always good and, and connecting people with other people in their industry, um, other people that, you know, maybe uh, uh, sharing the same suppliers um, and maybe what they've done to diversify. Um, just anybody that can provide that business advice that's been in their shoes already is a, a good way of building that team. Mm-hmm. And, and especially, uh, you know, if you, there is one thing you want to learn from somebody else's mistakes. So if somebody has gone through that stage already, it's probably a good source of uh, inspiration and learning. You know, the market is very dynamic. And um, this is one of the uh, recom- recommendations that we do to companies. Uh, if, the, For example, if they're not exporting and they're already maybe getting to the top of the opportunities that they have in the domestic market. They need to really make the effort to evaluate their capacities and see what other opportunities there are for growth. Uh, Because if they don't do it, somebody else will. And so as you think about that internal evaluation that these companies need to do of these opportunities, how often do you think a CEO should be looking at these issues? How frequently? Exporting? I would say it's a must nowadays. You just need to go to one of the large retail uh, chains and see where the products are coming from. And you will realize that even for a company that is not involved directly in international trade, it is indirectly because, you know, the supply chain, where the products are coming from, it's all interconnected. So one way or the other, we are all involved in international trade. Um, I would say for a company, and this is what Adrian was mentioning. Uh, what's the roadmap for that company? Not, not just today, but where are they going? I always recommend that they do include the opportunities in international trade, be that directly or indirectly. It is a great opportunity, not only for profits, but also, again, diversifying risk. So, And uh, we always tell um, companies, uh, you know, first thing you should look at the things, how competitive you are in terms of how solid your company is, and that the cash flow tells the story. (laughs) (laughs) And then how um, competitive you are in your market with Mm -hmm. your product or service. If you're uh, beating the the competition here, probably have an opportunity to do it uh, abroad too. It's definitely something you should uh, incorporate into your growth plan. Mm -hmm. And then for for your practice, um, Adrian and Sandra, how do you, how the, the two of you work together? Uh, well, Sandro is part of our uh, government guaranteed lending team um, and being our global trade specialist. Um, we have SBA product specialists across our footprint that partner with uh, bankers in, in identifying, uh, you know, opportunities for customers that may need government guaranteed financing. Sandro focuses on the SBA product for export working capital, lines of credit, and um, international trade financing. So, Anytime, uh, actually, one of the questions we ask every single one of our customers is, do you export? And it always surprises us how many people will say, well, you know, yes, we do. It's not a lot, but we're, you know, trying to grow that area. And when they say that they do, even if that's not what they came to us for, 
we have them talk to Sandro and talk about what they're doing and what their plans of growth are because he's a tremendous resource and, and somebody that can be part of their team of advisors of the information they need to know as they grow that aspect of their business. What percentage of your portfolio would you say is, is probably exporting, especially in the, the small, medium size, if we were talking about people that are listening? You know, I would say that um, there's probably 20 to 30 percent of our portfolio that do export. Probably about 10 percent are, are taking advantage of export financing. When a company starts, they don't necessarily need the financing aspect of that right away. But once that export a piece of their business takes off and they're seeing more and more volume, that's when they're going to need the capital support to handle the terms and, and you know, the shipping times. Everything's a little longer when you're exporting. Mm-hmm. So having the the cash to sustain that cash flow cycle is, is key when you're exporting. You know, there are companies that sell to Canada and they don't think they're exporting. Right. Uh, they see it as a domestic <laughs> or, uh, you know, we see it in our clients. Happens that all it, the time indirect exporters as uh, companies that sell to someone who is in turn re-exporting the products uh-huh. so, or services. So there are many, uh, many companies that are moving those steps into international trade. Again, that's what we do uh, at the division. We look at a client as a, the whole picture, not just, you know, just the transaction. And that's... Uh, a lot of our government contractors that we finance um, are indirect exporters because if they're making something for the government, more than likely it's being used um, overseas in another for our government or another government as well. So um, we see a lot of that on the government contracting. Very good. Well, thank you so much. Is there anything new or interesting happening in your practice that you think CEOs would like to, to know about that you'd like to let them know? Um, I would just uh, advise everybody to make sure that, you know, we, of course, love it when our customers are loyal to us and they're only talking to us and no other banks. But my advice would be that you should talk to multiple banks and make sure that the banker that you're working with, don't focus on the lowest price. You need to make sure that you have a banker that is advising you in your business and giving you options. If somebody comes in and says, well, here's the product I have and this is what you should do, that's not somebody who is advising you. They should be giving you multiple choices um, and, and, and having those conversations with your CFO or accountant and becoming part of somebody who helps you make wise decisions for your business. Um, so many people are just focused on that you know, 20 basis points difference in the interest rate. And there's some good quality bankers that are out there that can be a very good part of your business team as you um, continue to grow. For me, on the exporting side, as, since uh, um, our listeners are medium to large size, if they're not exporting or have not considered, I would recommend that they take that into consideration. And uh, as uh, Adrian mentioned, there is there are many... Uh, international organizations here in town, which you can do networking. And again, it's cheaper to learn some from somebody else's mistake. Maybe they're already in that market or they're selling to that company. Another blessing that we have in Atlanta uh, is the World Congress Center. It's amazing. Um, I go frequently to those uh, trade shows and you will find people from all over the world. Even if it's not your industry, if you have somebody from a country you're interested in, it's a good opportunity to do networking, talk to them. Maybe they know somebody who could do business with you. It's not that you have to make a very large investment in any in every business venture. Sometimes uh, the best advice or the best opportunity is right next to you. It's just that you haven't found it because you haven't looked for it. Well, thank you so much. If uh, listeners want to get in touch with you to find out more about anything they've heard, how can they do that? 
they go to synovus.com and, and look under small business financing. Anything about our government guaranteed lending department will be there. And we're located um, here in, in Atlanta uh, at, through Bank of North Georgia. So if they contact anybody that works at Bank of North Georgia, then um, they'll be able to reach us as well. Wonderful. Thank you so much for a great show. Thank you. Thank you. This show is brought to you by Anona Enterprises, where strategy is your access to money and performance. Learn more at anonaenterprises.com.